thank you all for making it out here this morning. Um, it's good to have um, a good group, a good good amount of people. Sometimes it's just a few people, which is also um, which is also okay. But it's nice to have a large group too. As one one teacher said, the more more logs on the fire, the the hotter and brighter the flames. So uh, we can all participate in that. Uh, so today I'm uh, sort of continuing a series of talks on the three poisons. Uh, what are known as the three poisons in Buddhist practice of uh, ang- anger, aversion, and ignorance. And this is on the second one, uh, aversion, which uh, I believe Mado talked about somewhat last week, although I, I wasn't here, so I didn't, uh, I haven't heard yet. But um, when I talked to Mado and said that I had signed up to be Doshi, since I'm only here once, uh, once every so often, uh, and we decided I would talk about aversion, I said, well, is there anything I should read? And she said, no, <laughs> uh, because I tend to, well, she didn't exactly say it like that. But uh, I tend to talk about books, um, being someone that studies books for a living. Uh, So she said, just look into my own personal experience and see what was there. And I thought, well, that's not really too difficult. Uh, I have plenty of aversions, uh, (laughs) plenty of things I'm averse to. Um, So I'm sure some will, will pop up. And I thought that I would talk about um, not just these large aversions to things that are very difficult for us, although I do kind of have one of those as well, maybe at the end, that I'll talk about. But I wanted to talk about micro-aversions. You hear a lot about micro-aggressions, so this is about micro-aversions. And just these... uh, kind of goofy things that seem goofy that we uh, just really try to avoid even though we know full well that they might only take as little as 30 seconds and that the sooner we do them, the better it will be. Uh, But we still uh, go very far out of our way to avoid them and and things that we're averse to. so, you know, why, why do we do this? Things that are necessary, things that we're going to have to do at some point, things that might even be helpful, things that are inevitable. And a, a few that I noticed in the last few weeks since I decided I would give this talk that I'll kind of come back to from time to time. One is uh, I volunteered to bring soup to a fundraiser event on my campus up in... Bradford, Pennsylvania, small pits campus up there. I, I volunteered to bring soup, and uh, it's uh, empty bowls. It's a, it's a fundraiser for the homeless in the area, and everyone brings in a crock pot of soup, and the cafeteria makes bread, and people pay for the meal. And so, I, I second year in a row, I decided, okay, I'll make it. We'll make some soup, bring it in. I like to make soup, and that was back in November, and just. Tuesday, I finally went and picked up my crockpot, which had been sitting in the student affairs office for three months. 
despite, I, I don't ever really ever use my crock pot, so it's not like I really needed it, but I did think of it from time to time, and even someone sent me an email at some point saying, thank you for the soup, but could you come pick this up? It's sitting here, taking up space, essentially. Uh, so finally I was able to do that. Uh, and, and by the way, it's about a one-minute walk from my office to where I need to go uh, to pick this up. It's in another building, albeit, but it's still probably door-to-door, less than 90 seconds to go pick this up. Uh, another one is I was canceling a dinner reservation. I made a dinner reservation and then realized that I wasn't going to be able to go. Um, so do the polite thing and call back the restaurant and say, you know, cancel this dinner reservation, which this one's particularly interesting because, you know, it's not like I'm calling the owner and telling him, sorry, I can't give you my business. I'm calling some employee that does not care how many people come in that night. Uh, and if anything, will appreciate that they don't have to try to negotiate, okay, when should I give this table away? These people aren't showing up. Uh, should I try to call them? Do I have the number? You know, this puts... Someone in, you know, so that's something that will be clearly appreciated. And it wasn't even like I was interrupting myself because I was driving. I had a bit of a drive and I had the number. It was very easy. I've got a hands-free setup in my car. There's really, you know, I'm not doing absolutely anything, but still, I, I did it. I did it, but uh, I called them and uh, finally was able to, you know, just, all right, just make the call. But I noticed there was definitely an aversion there to doing that. And the other one is, uh, I have here in my notebook, sending an email, which is something I do a lot. But it's actually even more than this, just very small things for the classes that I teach that I have to do. Um, you know, putting in, sending out participation grades every three weeks, which I have in my syllabus, which I tell my students I'll do. I'll send out participation grades every three weeks so you know where you stand, so it's not just some arbitrary number at the end of the semester, which is what my professors generally did to me when I was a student. And man, that one's tough. Sometimes I won't send it out, you know, the grade for week three, it might not get out till week five. Maybe on week six, I'll send out both of them. And, you know, it's this just inevitable thing. And it's, I'll think of it, it takes per class maximum of two minutes to do. And I just, uh, just really resist it and, and know that I resist it and I just don't want to do that. And uh, sending out emails sometimes, sending out very simple emails, I just really avoid things that will take 30 seconds. So these were three things that, that these are my kind of examples of micro aversions. And one question that I had thinking about, something I know Mato said last week, is. The question of, is every aversion also an attachment? Uh, which is an interesting thought because I think traditionally aversion and attachment in, in, in this context are opposites. Attachment, things that you actually want. Aversions, things that you push away. Um, and so they're being opposites, they're kind of linked because Buddhists love paradoxes and contradictions and just like night and day are very closely linked aversion and attachment seem to have a close link um, and I'll get to applying that to the specific examples but there's also something that I thought about this too is okay so 
attachments, aversions are also kind of their opposites. They're attachments to states that you don't want to interrupt, perhaps. But I've been reading the Diamond Sutra, uh, which applies this kind of paradoxical logic to everything, which is, uh, to apply it to an aversion, it would be an aversion is not an aversion, and that's why it's an aversion. So to explain this with uh, another example, I've talked about this a couple times, but one example that helps illustrate this for me is thinking of a color. The color blue um, only makes sense because we have all of the other colors that it contrasts. We only have blue because we can think of all these other colors that it's not. So in a sense, blue is blue because it's not blue, because of all the things that are not blue that make blue specifically blue. So therefore, blue is blue because it's not blue. Or, or any, any word, uh, you can do that with in general because it contrasts with the sound. You know, the word uh, book contrasts with the word chair. And so we know that a book is a book because we have all these other things to contrast it against. So it's everything outside of it, everything but a book, which is precisely what makes it a book. It's kind of a weird concept, uh, one that's not, I don't think, quite totally understandable, but that's just a couple of illustrations. So I was thinking, all right, not only are aversions their opposites, attachments, but somehow they're everything but an aversion. So how does that make sense? Um, I'm not sure. I've been so thinking about that. I thought on the drive over here, oh, maybe it'll come to me when I'm sitting. Because um, that usually happens, and I thought I said that, and I said, "Well, no, that that actually no, that won't happen because I've said it, and I'm expecting it, and it didn't. I don't have any great analyses, but but certainly aversion and attachment. Thinking of uh, something like sending an email, like what am I, you know, if I don't want to send this email, what exactly, or I don't want to put in this grade in the grade book, what exactly am I attached to that might be that might be giving rise to this aversion. Um, and that's kind of a tough question, but one that's been interesting to try to parse through. Um, perhaps an attachment to my time that I don't want to dedicate the time to do this, but it's such a short amount of time, and in theory I'm working and should be doing this. This is what this time is in theory dedicated for. I've set this time in my office for this but really I probably just want to open up YouTube so maybe it's an attachment to, to watching whatever random YouTube obsession I have recently it's watching videos on poker which uh, gambling and Buddhism are very uh, that's another strange thing I swear I like the strategy part not the risking money part but um, <laughs> random random things that come up so maybe it's an attachment to forms of experience that seem easier. Um, there's also some kind of aversion to grading in general and giving people grades that makes me uncomfortable. Uh, these students come from such different backgrounds, especially in a place like Pitt Bradford where we cater to a lot of low income and first generation and rural students and inner city students. And you just have no idea what kind of home life or background and education they have. And it's, it's usually pretty clear when there's someone that's like 
came from a good area or just a home where you know they had parents that really encouraged them to study or good teachers in high school. And yeah, that person gets an A. And here's this student that really struggles to spell words correctly that it may be a learning disability, it may be lack of education, it could be anything. And okay, they get a C and I just hate this process. It's reinforcing the advantages that people already have. So what am I attaching to there? Attaching to perhaps an illusion that as a teacher I'm evening things out? I, I don't know, perhaps, perhaps that. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, education brings everyone to the same level and this process seems to disrupt that illusion perhaps, of the illusion of fairness or something like that. And one thing that seems also to be the case is that they're all kind of attachments to ego. They're, the ego is the thing that likes uh, the, the, you know, this illusion of fairness or this, this enjoying what it be, the stimulation via YouTube or whatever it seems to be. So I, I've been wondering if all aversions stem from an attachment that I, I've been asking. Is, is, it, is it the ego that has attachments and aversions? Is it only the ego? Is that what's at stake? And I wonder perhaps... So perhaps all aversions are somehow attachment to the ego and all attachments are somehow aversions to not the ego? I don't know. Um, perhaps, which, that, that, might be, that might be an interesting way to look at it. Um, because they're, they're, having, they're, they're forcing you to let go when, you, when you're trying to let go of an attachment. Thinking of the crockpot, this one, there's a clear ego part to this of saving face. Showing up at that office and this woman looking at me and realizing this is the person that has left this crockpot here for months. I sent you an email three weeks ago, um, which I probably responded to, oh, thanks, I'll come get it this afternoon or an afternoon three weeks from now. Um, but... I know this person and I know that we can just kind of laugh about it and they'll probably say, oh, I do the same kind of thing. And not only she said that, but two people said that like, oh, I know how this goes. Sometimes these things, you get so busy during the day or you get distracted on YouTube during the day. Um, so, I mean, it's a situation people are pretty comfortable with. So this is not only, there's, there, there, it's not really saving face because... These, I mean, I guess in a sense, but, but mainly it's the illusion that, I'm, that I have to save face here and that I'm going to be embarrassed, or the delusion. Um, so I was thinking that perhaps um, at the root of a lot of aversions are delusions and these sort of strange reasons that we invent of why we should feel averse to this. Uh, like the fairness thing, if that's what the, is at the root of my aversion degrading, that I have a theory about what's fair in life and what's not fair. Um, and that's ultimately a delusion. Any analyses I have about some system that's that big, uh, I don't think can really ever be correct. I don't think we can probably ever really understand those things. So I was thinking perhaps every aversion arises out of a delusion, um, which seems to make sense with my understanding of delusions being delusions about things being at the heart of, of suffering in a lot of ways. Uh, 
Um, and so those are my kind of three micro aversions. And as I said, I sort of have a bigger one too. I'll call it a macro aversion. Uh, it's interesting to address uh, these things in life that you really struggle with and kind of for perhaps a good reason. And I think the thing that uh, my, perhaps my, my biggest, largest, most glaring, obvious aversion in life is, is getting out of bed. Uh, I'm really terrible at it. It's, it's been years that I've been struggling with this. Um, and it's not just... Uh, part of it's not having to get up and report to a job early. That would actually make my life much easier in some ways because if I'm forced to and I have to report somewhere, it's fine. I, I, I actually really like sleep and I'm pretty good, disciplined at going to bed at a decent time. So even if I've slept a solid eight hours and I feel rested, uh, sometimes I'll linger in bed for another two hours or three hours. Um, and I, not, I, I think not only does it kind of interrupt time that I want to dedicate to things that I feel are more valuable, like meditation or even grading or something that I know I have to do or something that feels better than just lingering in bed, which usually doesn't really even involve, I think involves some negative habits. That's when I start to ruminate kind of negatively quite often. And I think it messes with my body chemistry. Apparently online I've read that it can throw off your sort of waking up and going back to bed hormones and throw them all in at once. And I feel like I can feel it in my body. Like even if I wake up, I've been in bed extra and I meditate and I'm sort of forgiven myself. Okay, I can still just feel this strangeness in my body that lasts for a while. Um... So I've done all sorts of things to try to remedy this. And, and, and also, if I get in the habit of waking up early, I feel much better. So sometimes I'll get in the habit of it. And Recently, my partner, Laura, has, has offered, she's, she's much better at getting up and offered to call me and say, get out of bed and, and be my drill sergeant in the morning and to have someone sort of responsible for. Um, and she offered this. And my first reaction was, no, no, thanks. <laughs> um, for a number of reasons. One... Um, since the relationship is still kind of new, it's like, oh, I don't know if, you know, starting every morning, or maybe that's, maybe that's, you know, maybe this makes things too, we're getting, we're getting too close too soon. I don't know. That was one part of it. And another part was the, probably the biggest part was I don't want help. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, this is something I have to overcome by myself. Um, and I started to think, well, what does by myself mean if we don't have a self? Uh, it probably doesn't mean much and you know why are we here gathered to to support each other's practice as a sangha Uh, and it's partly because we don't have a self so I decided to give it a try and it's actually been very helpful uh, to just sort of have an external thing Um, and still sometimes I question oh maybe maybe I should do this by myself but I think well Apparently that doesn't really mean anything to do something by yourself. It's kind of an illusion. And so one thing that, just my, you know, one thing I realize is not just, you know, with things with aversion, to, to seek out help. Uh, I think we, we fight these battles that the ego really likes to be. I will do this. Um, but there's, there's nothing that you do by yourself. There's nothing that's not a product of, uh, of, of everything. Uh, because yourself is not yourself. It's, it's everything but yourself. Um, 
So a conclusion, and one kind of concluding from this is, okay, this allows for growth, it allows for connection, um, it allows for me to share things about my personal life to the Sangha, which is probably also an aversion. I was debating whether to share that one this morning, and I thought, well, if there's a place to be open, I suppose it's with the Sangha. So, good, I'm growing. Aversions allow us to grow. Okay, there's, there's a good, very facile conclusion. You know, in the business world now, and in general, you know, you don't have... You don't have problems, you have challenges. You know, there's no, there's nothing that you do poorly, there's just areas of growth. You know, you don't, you're not doing this bad, it's just an area of growth for you. I thought, ah, oh, it's, yeah, sure, all right, sure. But it's too facile, so, ah, okay, let's pull the Diamond Sutra back out. Growth is not growth, and that's why it's growth. Okay, uh, so trying to think about that. How is growth not growth? Um... And I think, again, it goes back to the ego that to assume that we're growing is to have come to a conclusion. And there's just no conclusions to come to about the world. Uh, everything's constantly in flux. And, and to conclude that you've grown through this uh, and you have overcome an aversion is probably, in a lot of ways... That analysis, at least, is kind of the, 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 I think, a very ego part. But perhaps the the actual transformation that's going on that we probably can't fully understand and might not even be aware that it's happened, there is some sort of growth, so it is growth. It's not, there's the not growth part, but there is a growth there, but sort of not one that you can access or not one that you need to access or not one that you need to concern yourself with, perhaps. Um, And that led me to think about, well, okay, so something like the sleeping in, certainly a hindrance. Okay, why why, why is this a poison? And it's a poison specifically to practice and to, to to practice. So, yeah, sleeping in, I meditate less and... I feel like it really affects my mood and I don't, I'm sort of not as open the rest of the day. And, and staying in bed, I often just let my mind wander and, and not in ways that aren't very aware. So, okay, that's a clear something that I can see that how that affects my practice. But how does not sending that email affect my practice? And, or, you know, how does not picking up that crockpot affect my practice? And there's, I guess, again, the simple analysis that, like, well, you are going to have to do this, and it's creating a certain kind of cognitive dissonance that you have two minds at one time, and maybe that's not useful for awareness. But beyond that, I also thought that, you know, if an aversion is also no aversion then, you know, the poisons are sort of no poisons as well, and perhaps it's this naming it as such in this this discourse that we build up over, oh, this is my aversion, this is my mission, this is the thing I'm overcoming. All these, it it allows this for you to say, I, so many times, uh, my aversion, to take ownership of things. And perhaps it's not so much the aversion itself, but our, the, the battles that we wage with them. And that if we could just sort of Accept and just, well, yeah, I mean, it's probably, you know, I try to accept, well, I'm probably just going to be struggling to get out of bed for the rest of my life, no matter what the conditions are. And that's not something I necessarily need to actively try to solve, perhaps. Um, 
that one thing that I, I appreciate about this practice that I've heard teachers say and that I've read is that awareness itself is transformative. It's you don't necessarily have to try to do things. They, by just by just trying to hone your awareness, you uh, you may reach uh, the solution will come maybe in a way, or maybe there will never be a solution. But that that aversion to getting out of bed is doing something that's completely unknowable to me. That's 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 positive. Um, it's so. There's that. I'll leave with that very strange question of like so. Why do we address these poisons if they're no poisons? Um, apparently, directing our attention there to be aware of them has some effect, but is is naming them as such potentially problematic too? And that's uh, something I don't really know. And maybe we can talk about it, T. But uh, that's uh, that's all I have for the moment. So. Thanks. So please um, return your cushions to their places.